This podcast was recorded on the ancestral lands on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. This is Humans on Rights, a podcast advocating for the education of human rights. Here's your host, Stuart Murray. Nelson Mandela said that no one is born hating another person. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. You know, the International Day of Education is January 24th. And so I thought it would be important to talk to somebody who has a background in education and is studying human rights. And that's why I am delighted to invite Mitchell DeFair to this episode of Humans on Rights. Mitchell, welcome to Humans on Rights. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Stuart. So Mitchell, just quickly, we're going to talk a little bit about your background, but just to put it into context, you have a Bachelor of Arts in Peace and Conflict Transformation. And you graduate, you got that as a graduate of the Canadian Mennonite University, but you currently are studying or getting your master's of human rights at the University of Manitoba. And while you're doing that, you are also the education coordinator, I should say, at MARL, which is, of course, an acronym for the Manitoba Associations and Rights and Liberties. So your current position is uh, education coordinator, I should say, Mitchell, at the uh, Manitoba Association of Rights and Liberties, or MARL. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm currently still a student uh, in the process of, of graduating, coming up to those final stages, and then also working full-time at MARL. Perfect. So obviously you have been a great assistance and an asset and, and tremendously help to the hub and to me personally in my sort of learning journey around human rights. Let's kind of talk about you and, you know, you're growing up, you were, you're a Manitoban, you grew up in Winnipeg or not in Winnipeg, but you grew up in Manitoba. Where Where's your home? Yeah, I grew up uh, just outside of, of Winnipeg. I guess we moved when I was in grade one, we used to live in Valley Gardens area and then moved just outside of Winnipeg uh, to East St. Paul. And so, yeah, I went to school in North Kildorian. That's where a lot of my, my friends are, are from. I still know and still hang out with a lot of those people. So, uh, yeah, that's been awesome to stay in contact with people who you've kind of known your whole life. And I think that's such a, a special relationship, especially when sometimes you talk about human rights and having those hard conversations. But when you have a relationship with someone for, for so long, there's sort of this understanding and this capacity to, to really listen in because you have such a far back relationship. Um, but yeah, grew up, grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Manitoba boy. So Mitchell, just on that, and you, you kind of talked about friendships and, and having those relationships at what point in your education, when you're in high school, what point did you sort of get interested and think that human rights or conflict or transformational relationships is something that you would like to further your education on? For me, it was more of a, a discovery. I've always been really jealous of people who, in high school, I, I had friends who were like, this is what I want to do, and they went out and they did it, and they knew what they wanted, and they they followed, they had a plan, and they followed their plan. For me, things, the story of my life is, and things have never really turned out that way for me. Uh, sort of been discovery through different inquiries and explorations, 
So in high school, I don't think I would have believed anyone if they had told me this is where, where I would be right now. I originally was wanting to study business and very quickly changed course from that. Didn't want to do that. And so then I, I dropped out of university for some time. I just wanting to travel and had met up with some friends and a, and a cousin of mine who had always been sort of a role model. And then went back to school at CMU to actually study philosophy. And then that wasn't really for me either. And, and I just kept taking courses in peace building and conflict transformation because it was interesting to me. And the part for me where things really started to change is when I started to understand systems and structures and the ways that they intentionally and, and un unintentionally marginalize and can give some people privilege at the expense of others. And when I started to understand those things, I wanted to know more, mostly out of a sense of discomfort, mostly is what it was. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't comforting to know that these things are happening. And for me, for, for most of my life, going about it unaware of these things uh, and then wanting to know more. And then it sort of ended up where I was talking to the academic advisor and they were like, you know what, you are so close to a degree in conflict transformation. And so it was, it was more of a, a practical thing where it was like, you're really close to this. I, had, I didn't even know, actually, originally that I was, had the most credits in those until it was told to me. Uh, and then once I declared it officially in like the formal sense of school, I sort of declared it for myself personally. And then I, I really started engaging with that work. And then that's where this whole idea of human rights, uh, I started wanting to know more about that, more about these systems uh, that can lift some others up and at times uh, keep others down. And just wanting to, to know more is mostly where it came from. Uh, but it was really a, a path that had a lot of twists and turns and a lot of key people along the way and, and really good conversations where I had sort of discovered that uh, that's sort of where I want to go. And I still find myself trying to embrace as much as possible this idea of discovery, just kind of going out and figuring it out. So, Mitchell, when you talk about maintaining relationships with some of your, your friends that you went to high school on, do you have conversations with them about systems that elevate people or systems that kind of oppress people? Do you share those or do your friends have the same views or how do you you know, when you get to sort of hang out, I mean, not that you get into heavy conversations. I'm sure you like to talk about hockey as well. But, you know, those are important conversations to you as a person, particularly what you're studying. Are you able to engage some of your friends in some of these conversations? And if you are, what responses do you get from them? Yeah, I'm absolutely able to engage in those conversations. I think overall, for the most part, we don't talk about uh, systems of oppression and, and anti-oppressive frameworks. Most of the time, we are talking about things that we uh, we share in, in common, like I don't, like we have some poker nights and, and stuff like that, and that's a lot of times the topics of of conversation. And the other day, I actually helped a friend build a dog sled. They really wanted to try and build a dog sled, and their budget was fifty dollars. And so we ended up doing that one weekend, and and that was awesome. But interesting that you say that is is through the process of doing that, we did end up having con a conversation came up uh, about oppression of some groups uh, in that particular conversation was uh, sexual groups that are oppressed because of their sexuality. And I think in any time, if you kind of come in with an agenda in any 
type of ways. Lots of times, just life gets in the way, and I don't know that I've ever intentionally come and you know. There's lots of memes out there about how you know beware of anyone inviting you out of the blue for a coffee date, or you know, unless they confront you about something uh, where you have this agenda and you're trying to convince someone of something. I think I'm really grateful for a lot of the people in my life, a lot of the friends that I have, because a lot of times I don't agree with with my friends. It's great when we do, but just as a human being, you can't agree with everybody on on everything. And there are some things that to me are non-negotiable, but for the most part, the people in my life, and I'm fortunate to have them, uh, are really interested in the conversation and really interested in, in understanding. And I'm grateful for a lot of really curious people in my life. Actually, just this past weekend, uh, we were out with some friends and we had this, conver- this kind of exact conversation where you may be talking to someone who you disagree with, but they're, when they're really curious to understand why it is that you feel the way you do, even if they disagree with you, it sort of makes you feel like you have, uh, you feel, you feel kind of heard and you feel seen and you feel appreciated for who you are more than just the opinion that you're saying or more than just a certain viewpoint. And I'm really grateful that all of the friends that I have and my family all sort of share this curiosity and wanting to understand why it is the way I might feel a certain way. Uh, and, it, and it makes me feel, yeah, it makes me feel good about myself. I feel heard, I feel seen, and I hope that I can do the same to, to others and not get too, uh, too human. It's not, at times, right, we're human beings and you're really passionate about one thing and I hope that I can extend the same. I hope that they would say the same. Well, and and I think that's a great way to continue and build on relationships, Mitchell. Uh, you know, part of the challenge always is particularly, and I'm going to just sort of go back to when I was younger, that it seemed that there was always this desire to be right or wrong and always to try to prove your point that, that you know, say I was right and I'm trying to prove that you're wrong. And I've always learned that when I was at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, that the notion, and this is one I'm talking to you about education of some of these issues, is that the education piece is not about being right or wrong. It's about respecting other people's points of view and being open to learning and being curious, as you say. And it's at some point even agreeing to disagree, but not on the basis of right or wrong. It's about perspective. And the one thing that I learned when I was at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, and I'd like to see if you want to talk a little bit about the other, you know, people kept saying, well, you know, you should get to know the other. And that was a new expression for me because I didn't really understand what that is. Is is that something that you talk with your friends or do you respect and understand that there's always the other out there? And, And how do you approach people around those conversations, Mitchell? Yeah, I think that that's a really important conversation to have and and unpack. When I'm doing workshops, something that I've tried to do is preface every workshop with empathy. And for me, what I learned in conflict transformation and peace building methods was understanding empathy in a deeper way. And so Talking about sympathy, I remember the first time a teacher asked us in university classroom, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy? And I had never thought about it. I didn't have an answer. And I felt like it was a term we, we use oftentimes, and, but I, I wasn't able to slap a definition on it. And, and some things, it's okay to go undefined. But I was like, I, I should have a, a better idea of what I mean when I'm using these terms. And so they had sort of described 
in that class, we talked about sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody, but empathy is feeling sorry with somebody. And empathy being the intersection of the self and the other. When those two things come together, you have empathy and you can feel with someone. And so oftentimes I've, I've heard those sort of narratives played out when people talking about, oh, well, they think this and, and they think that. And often asking, well, who is the they? What, what do we mean by that? Is that just a term we use when we're describing something other than how we feel or our perception of things? And what does it mean then to have empathy and bring the self and the other together? What sort of happens there? And that's something that, for me, I feel fortunate to have in my life is a really diverse group of opinions that I've grown up with. I mean, obviously, in the human Master of Human Rights program, we had these quizzes that we would take during class where it would kind of ask, uh, where do you stand? And lots of times it was a yes or a no. And of course, it was for most, most of them, it would be it depends sort of answer. But it's interesting then when you're forced to sort of take stake a claim to something. But it was also interesting that just because of the nature of the program, most people always agreed on on one thing. Just uh, it, it attracts a, a, a way of thinking about, okay, who is, who is the most vulnerable or most exploited here? And then interesting then in, in some other circles I go to, the conversations are a lot different where they're not thinking through those things. So there's different assumptions about the way the world is. And so then thinking about the intersection of the self and others, what does it mean to truly try and understand this other? What is it that makes it this person or that I'm deeming them the other? Like, what is it? Is it their opinion? Is it their value system? And how can we bring those things together so I can understand uh, wh why it is that I'm seeing them as something different than myself? But yeah, that's something that is definitely easier said than done. So in your journeys, you studied uh, whether it's taking peace and conflict transformation at the Canadian Mennonite University, or as you currently are studying to get your, your master's of human rights at the University of Manitoba. Do you see some of the challenges that go along with the, the academics of learning about human rights and the lived experience of human rights? And so those people that have, have lived it versus, you know, learned it from a teacher or learned it from a book. Have you had any sort of interaction or interplay that you can share on that particular topic? Yeah, I think that there's always sort of this idea of like there's theory and then there's practice. And I think that there's people who have lived experience and lived realities that may at times feel diminished by maybe this idea that this theory sort of trumps their lived experience. I think that those things definitely can, can be intention. I know for myself as a person of privilege, a lot of my lived experience is that of having opportunity and, and privilege. And so a lot of my understanding comes from learning of the lived experiences of other people. And then seeing the ways that in an academic space like university, where we learn about different theories and different frameworks about the ways oppression manifests, you can see how those lived realities reflect the reality of the oppressive framework, you can see like, oh yeah, okay. So I've learned the ways that systems can operate and that they may lift other voices up while silencing other ones. And then you can listen to the lived realities of people who are saying, it feels as though I'm silenced. And in some, so in some ways they are intentional, but in other ways they validate one another. I think there's an, an interplay between the two, for sure. You mentioned the word systems. 
I'd like to explore that with you. When you talk about systems that that help to either oppress people or help to, uh, we shouldn't say help to oppress people, but actually do oppress people or systems that will lift people up. What do you mean by when you talk about systems that way? Yeah, I guess systems, the way that I've understood it is sort of like the intersection of the policies and practices and procedures that are sort of abundant everywhere at like a sort of a grand scale and the way that they all interplay together. And so when systems are rooted or made up by, like if all the policies, practices, and procedures are all being developed by one group of people, they're inherently going to favor that group of people. And so then there's groups of people who are excluded from those. And it may be even like unbeknownst to the people who, have, who are creating them. Um, sometimes it's intentional. I mean, you know, like in Canada, there were some intentional policies and practices and procedures that were designed at systemic levels to oppress Indigenous groups on purpose. And so that manifests in, in all sort of areas of social life. So sometimes it's education, it can be in policing, it can be in all sorts of ways that we interact with the world, uh, all through the systems that we use to go about every day. I just think it's important because I've had conversations with other people on this podcast about systems and how you get involved to change systems and enact on on that conversation. and. Have you been exposed, Mitchell, through any of your studies or any of the reading you've done or any of the practical experience you have about how, and, and this is, it was a tough question because it's not necessarily an easy answer, but, but the question is, how do we change systems to ensure that those that are in place now that have, by their design, oppressed people, how do we change that to ensure that there is this constant conversation that we have around human rights, that we're all born equal and that we're all, you know, sort of made to be equal. And, you know, that's a great statement. It's just, in fact, in, in human life, not true. So from a, a systems perspective, how would you look at making those changes from your vantage point? For me, it's something that I think a lot about. And if I had the answer, I, I would definitely be sharing it. But something I've been thinking about recently over the last few weeks is this idea of like inside out or, or outside in change. And I know like a lot of times talking about uh, inside out change. So going into like an organization or an institution and, you know, if you can do the right teaching and you can have the right education, you can change this institution that will then be able to impact the lives of other people that, that within, the, within the institution. Uh, even thinking about education systems, if if you can go, or an organization, if you can go into this organization and you can have the right kind of training and then get everybody on board for this these ideals, then everybody who's in the organization and all of the staff can then go out and have this great idea of how to go out and, and change the world. And if you can get enough of them to do it, you can have the systems change. Then there's the other side where maybe it's it's outside and maybe organizations need pressure from the outside to say, hey, you know what, we need a new group of people. We need some new ideas of, of who's at the table, who's making decisions. And then in that way, the pressure would be coming from the outside in to make changes on institutions. So I've been thinking about that, like how best, how can I help be a part of making change? Do I join an organization and work from the inside out? Or am I taking up space that somebody else should have? Or do you start an organization that puts sort of pressure on other organizations to say, hey, what are you doing to meet these standards? What sort of anti-oppressive frameworks are you implementing? And so I, I, I really don't know. I don't have an answer. I, 
I'm definitely interested in exploring it and trying to find positive ways to do it. For me, it's about uh, human agency and, and increasing human dignity. And so I think that, like, where can I go to, to do those things? And how can we make sure our systems are increasing human dignity? And I think it's a good question to ask, but I also think everything that follows is a lot more complicated. And that's something I really hope to to be a part of and keep trying. And sometimes I'm doing something and I realize maybe I've gone about it the wrong way or my energy might be better invested someplace else. And so I'm still discovering those things and trying to figure all of that out. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I think lots of times when we do workshops for the youth, we talk about civic engagement and citizenship and what does that mean to, to be able to vote and to have democracy and suffrage. And one question we ask is if the voting age is lowered to 16, what would that do for you? What impact would that make in your life to be able to, to have a say in, in what your world looks like at a, at a policy level and that type of systems level? And then there's some, sometimes there's youth that say, well, it would make no difference because it doesn't matter who I, I vote for. We need to have other, other institutions and other groups of people making changes. Um, and so in that way, when there's all, all of these things going on at once, sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed and feeling like, oh, is, is there any way forward? Um, but I think that there is, there's a lot of good things going on and a lot of different ways to get at that question of increasing human dignity. But yeah, I don't, I don't have a, any straightforward answer. So Mitchell, I mentioned at the top of this podcast that January 24th is the International Day of Education. And of course, education is a human right. So I wanted to just get your sense. Do you see a difference between human rights education and human rights learning? I think that they're definitely interconnected. I guess when I first, when I think about education, I always, in my mind, initially think of more of a, a formal like school system, just probably because of the way I've grown up and the way it's been employed. That's how I sort of see it as something more more formal and learning I see as more informal, but that's just my initial sort of reaction to hearing the different words. Probably has a lot to do with how I've kind of seen them growing up. Uh, education has always seemed like that's what happens in school. Um, and learning is something that always seemed like could happen in any kind of capacity. But that's just sort of my, my initial sort of reaction. One of the things that uh, when you talk about you know, human rights and education, and it's bringing issues forward. Do you think that peaceful protest is a form of human rights education? I think so. I think that there's a lot that happens in even leading up to protests and uh, that happens within them and, and a lot of learning that happens when we see them on the news. I think that there's a lot of educating that happens when you see a protest and even saying like, what is going on there? And it almost immediately imposes a, a curiosity. You kind of need to know. It's sort of in your face. Like, I need to understand what's going on in front of me. It may impede your path, right? You're trying to get somewhere and you can't uh, because maybe something's in your way. And it's sort of like now it's it's in your face. You need to now know what, what's going on. And of course, there's ways that those are sort of co-opted and uh, the message of, of protest sometimes gets distorted and stuff like that. Uh, but I think absolutely it's, it's a way of, of educating. And there's even, right, it's even thinking about theory, there's lots of theories on how to protest. What's the best way to, to protest? I read an article actually recently called Protest as Pedagogy. I wish I had taken more notes on it, but I think it would probably get out a lot of the questions you're asking. 
to that point, and I think I know the answer to this, but I I just want to go down this path for a second with you. Have you ever been involved in a peaceful protest or in a in a march? I have been involved. I think ultimately I'd like to be more involved. One of the the first ones I went to was the the climate march that was like years ago uh, when they did like high schools did the sort of day out walkout, and that one was in a lot of ways organized, and I think. A lot of times when we do workshops, if you want to go towards ones that are maybe less politically sensitive, climate change is one that's kind of widely accepted as being like an appropriate one. And that's what I think is interesting is then that one. Yeah, lots of times teachers will say, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's important. Uh, We can all agree on this. So that was like the first one I went to. And there was obviously so many people. I saw some of my cousins there, lots of my friends. And in a lot of ways, maybe it was it was more of a, a performative thing, uh, just in that everyone was doing it. Everyone was behind the, the climate change. I mean, of course, not everybody, but it, it sort of seems that way. Uh, so that was the first one I went to, and I went with actually the friend who I made that dog sled with. We went we went out to that one together, and then there was I went to the Black Lives Matter when that was there was the one in Winnipeg. And I went to that one, and then I had gone to when maybe not so much a protest, but uh, solidarity was when at the ledge uh, during the the war in Ukraine. But I would I've always thought about been really interested in in protest, and I think just where I lived in my position of privilege, like I was able to physically be distant from lots of the stuff, lots that happens in Winnipeg, like downtown, and I was physically lived really far from there and was able to always it was always something sort of abstract but yeah those are those are sort of the ones that i've been to i'm not sure how you see it mitchell but talking today about uh you know the importance of education as a human right and so you know i don't know how the teachers felt that you know you take a day off of formal education in school to go out and protest uh, on climate change. So you're you're really removing yourself from an educational institution to go out onto the street to create awareness about another another area. I don't know how did uh, did the, how did the teachers react when the students did that? I'm not totally sure. I wasn't really communicating with too many of the educators during that time. When I was there, I was in university at that time, and I already didn't have the I already was, didn't have class that day. So for me, it was it was easy to go to uh, that one, which in a lot of ways is, right, there's all of those questions of opportunity and privilege and, and stuff like that. I think that I saw a lot of teachers there with their students who even school buses that were sent from school were sent to the, the climate change, climate justice. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you're in an unlivable climate or ecosystem, you can't learn anything anyways. So I feel like it's one of those takes uh, precedent over maybe some of those things you learn day to day. It's something that's important. And I think you can learn a lot from it in coming together as a group with your classmates and see other schools there and kind of acknowledge like this is something that matters to us and we want to work towards. Yeah. So let me just kind of switch gears a little bit to still on the education file, but as the education coordinator for MARO, the Manitoba Association of Rights and Liberties, what are you involved in? What are you working on? And what sorts of education elements around human rights are you uh, are you actively involved in there? At MARO, most, a lot of what we do is workshops with schools and, and sometimes with educators. 
And so we have a variety of workshops that we do. Some of them are, are like human rights fundamentals, which focus on like knowing your rights. I think when you can learn your rights, you can kind of gain a sense of agency. And knowing like this, knowing your rights also is an indicator of when maybe a right that you have isn't being met or an entitlement is being met. It may also point to some ways that you may be noticing other groups that have more opportunity and, and understanding those. So then conversations of power and privilege come in and we have a workshop on power and privilege. Uh, we also have a workshop on climate justice where we talk about uh, everything from different cases that youth are taking to advocate for their future. Uh, we talk about externalities and, and what that all means and, and how to go about what a better future might look like. And um, mostly just our kind of central goals are empowering youth, giving them the tools that they need, and also just creating spaces where they can come together and network with one another and, and work towards things that they think are important. So not just us saying you should go work towards this, but trying to listen and be, what, what are you hoping to see in the world that would you know increase your agency and and how do you want how do you see that happening with educators most of what we do is learning about anti-oppression and and equity have lots of equity conversations and then justice is sort of the the kind of key theme that goes through through all of those things and how are you finding the reception that you get from the various students various schools in these workshops that's something that's been so interesting to me is going into junior high classrooms and sometimes being met with blank stares and just sort of, uh, that's been something that I, is a new experience for me is teenagers that might not be so interested in, in having those conversations. Uh, overall though, I think most, most students, you just got to find the thing that they're passionate about. And sometimes that's the greatest challenge. And that's why we try to keep it open and have open ended questions where we can learn what the class wants to talk about and the issues that are important to them. And then I find that very much like a life-giving experience to find out what are you passionate about and, and let's talk about it. And for me, then I feel uh, I need to know a lot about the subjects so that they can bring in any type of topic that they want. And even if it's not directly connected, I better hope that I know enough about it that we can have a meaningful conversation and, and learn from one another. And so when those conversations happen and you can see a classroom is sort of uh, everybody's paying attention and listening to one another. And I really love when in a classroom, a student will say something and then another one will go, yes, and, and then it will just be a series of yes, and the whole way through. And that's awesome. And everybody's just adding value to what their peers are saying and everybody's learning from one another. And that's the best when that can happen in a, in a workshop. And so there's been times when we've made it to like only we're kind of stuck. Technically, we're only been on one side the whole class, but we've had this great conversation. And for me, that's that's the best. It's when everybody feels like they're a part of something and we're sort of co-creating meaning in the room, all learning off one another. And a lot of times the people's lived experience, and then they're also adding like, this is what I know. And so oftentimes students will be saying, sharing their experiences and things that they know. And it will sort of end up being things that were in the PowerPoint and we'll never technically get to the slide, uh, but we cover it all through conversation. And that's always my preference. Yeah. What's the biggest surprise you've had when you've had one of these workshops with uh, students talking about human rights? I think the most surprise there was, was after a workshop, we have our evaluations where students can go and we have a QR code and you can scan it and you can, we give us feedback, which is great. Definitely appreciate that. But 
the one student had come up to me after a workshop and they said, do you take feedback? And I said, yeah, we've got the QR code right up there. You can scan it and send feedback. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like right now. I'm like, oh, you can give it feedback right now if you want. And they had said everything that you said, and this was like a half day workshop. So it was like over three hours. They said everything you said, I knew it already. Next time you come back, teach me something I didn't know. And that was, I was pretty surprised. Uh, I was also in my head, I was thinking like, I don't remember ever learning about some of the things that we were talking about. Um, but then they said, don't bother coming back unless you want to talk about nuclear power. And so that was uh, a really humbling experience for me. And uh, I, w- I was pretty surprised to, to hear that. I also thought it was, yeah, it, w- it was fun and I wasn't too offended by it, but I appreciated the honesty. Well, you know, and, and that's part of it, right, is that I think in the whole discussion, Mitchell, around human rights is there's a lot of very difficult conversations in the sense that you want people to be engaged and you hope that they say things that are respectful. I'm not sure that that would fit in the respectful category. It's honest. I mean, the response you got is honesty, but I appreciate you sharing that because it, it just goes to really the, the core of, of human rights is education. And the more you can have conversations with people and learn and, and be open about human rights and challenges and, and opportunities, then, you know, hopefully we all start to figure out how this can in fact be a better world. But I would love it, you know, for somebody to be that, that brash. I mean, I, I would just say, and you probably know this, I've spent a time, bit of time in my life in politics. So that's a kind of lived everyday experience where you don't even ask for feedback and they give it to you. So it's, it's, you know, fair comment. Um, Mitchell, if people want to get involved or become more active in the community around human rights, what's some advice would you give them? There's a human rights hub calendar that has some events on there. And, uh, Different organizations, I think there's a lot of organizations doing really great work and sort of the purpose of the calendar from the purpose of the calendar is sort of creating a central space for all of those. And I think that was the trouble for me when I was trying to find out how to get involved. I think most places are really receptive to having people volunteer and engage and be a part of their community. But sometimes it can be difficult to figure out where to find those places. And I know for myself, I always wanted to get more involved and really kind of show up with my physical presence. I think I was showing up a lot of times with words, um, but I wasn't showing up with my presence. And so I had sort of wanted to show up to, to marches and show up to protests, but I didn't know where to look for those things. And so I found community in through my university, right? There's lots of universities have different clubs and I know lots of high schools have different clubs around even the environment and climate change. I think that there's one high school we went to had a club that was about uh, climate justice, and they had over 100 students in the club. Um, so there's sort of those sorts of different places that you can seek out and find. Morrow has a youth committee that is looking for lots of people to join, and we have lots of different events that we put on that everyone is, is welcome to join. But it can be tough to find a community where people are passionate. I guess it's not tough to find a community where people are passionate about human rights, um, but sometimes it's difficult to know where, where to look for those spaces. I think I send out sort of cold emails sometimes to organizations saying, like, hey, like I was saying, like, I can volunteer, like, I'd like to be involved. Let me know where, where I can, uh, might be able to be kind of plugged in. 
And that's what I appreciated in the, even in going to the Master of Human Rights program was for me just Googling, like, where can I learn more about this? And then I found out there's a program about human rights. I was like, this is perfect. This is what I'm looking for. And then through there, I was able to find all of these other organizations that are doing really great work. Uh, and I think the Hub Calendar is a place where you can see lots of those organizations. So even if it's an event from the past, maybe that you obviously can't go to, but you can look through the organizations and see different ways that you might be able to get involved. Yeah, no, and that's great. And what I'll do is, you know, in episode notes, I'll obviously I'll include contacts for Marl, contacts for the hub, just if anybody's listening so they can they can make reference to see where they want to go. Mitchell, I enjoy our conversations. Uh, this one is a little bit different because this one's recorded unlike the other ones that we've had in my office uh, when you were helping me uh, with the hub. I want to leave the last word to you, though, and I want to get your sense of uh, as you're going through your Master's of Human Rights at the University of Manitoba, what do you really want to look for in terms of your next move? What would you like to do? Where would you like to find yourself sort of leading the education side of, of human rights? For me, the, the biggest learning that I had in my experience was understanding the ways that systems were causing harm. And so... I see that as a way, I know that just because it works for me, it's not going to work for everybody else. But for me, that was a big part in, in really changing the core of how I saw the world around me. Before that, I, I kind of had the blinders on. I was just going about it and had empathy and wanted to understand more and a curiosity, but wasn't aware of all, maybe how serious it was and uh, the different ways that a lot of these things can be undone. And for me, that was the part that was really key in wanting to learn more is knowing like, okay, well, these things have been done and there's groups that are suffering because of it. And some groups are lifted up at the expense of others, but there's a way of undoing these things and how can we undo those things? And so that's sort of, for me, piqued an interest in understanding how policy operates and how that can be used to sort of set precedent in how things ought to be done because not everybody is tolerant of other viewpoints. And so sometimes it can be exhausting trying to convince someone of, yeah, I think that everybody probably has had an experience, even if you're talking about your favorite kind of food. You're trying to tell someone like, no, this is the way it's got to be. This is the best thing. This is my favorite food. And right, and it just doesn't seem that it's landing in any way. Um, but to set precedent in that way to say, you know what, even though if we may disagree, we need to agree on, on some common values and we need to make sure that we're protecting people who we've discovered are vulnerable. And so for me, I'd like to teach others about those ways, the ways that systems can oppress other groups. And so I feel fortunate to be able to do that sort of in my everyday work. Even the other week, we did a workshop on poverty and homelessness. And we talked about all of the different barriers that people who don't have a home face in their everyday life. And those are things that for me were a discovery. I didn't know those things before. And then once I knew them, it sort of becomes, okay, well, now that I know this, what can we do? How can we undo these things? How can we how can we make things better and how can we increase human dignity? Uh, so I think I'd like to con continue that work and be a part of yeah, developing different practices and policies that are life-giving for everybody, uh, not just a few people. Sounds like a great way to end a uh, podcast conversation on the International Day of Education with respect to human rights. Mitchell DeFerr, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your conversation and we will continue to be in touch, I know. Thanks so much, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Humans on Rights. 
A transcript of this episode is available by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Humans on Rights is recorded and hosted by Stuart Murray. Social media marketing by Buffy Davey. Music by Doug Edmond. For more, go to humanrightshub.ca. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.